Well, good morning again. It's great to see all of you, and it's good to welcome one another and sing praises to our God, and whether you are joining here in person, and we are so glad to see you, or you're online like some of you other folks are, it's good to have you join us as well on this Independence Day, 4th of July, whatever you choose to call it, weekend. We are super I'm excited that you have taken the opportunity to join with us today for, for worship. And as we worship together today, it's our, our hope that you, um, you experience the, the presence of the Lord and, and walk away blessed and a clearer understanding of who God is and how much he, he loves you and the plan that he has for you. Um, you'll find in your, in your bulletin a little tan card. Um, I usually have one. I do have one. We call it a Connect card. Um, don't worry about that. That's just the warranty on my Bible. Um, it really is. Um, it gives a, it, there's a lifetime guarantee, but I don't know if I have to have that um, certificate to keep that in order, so I try to hang on to it. But anyway, back to the Connect card. It's a great way for you to share information with us. So if you're visiting today and would like us to share more information with you, just put your, your name down and how you would like us to contact you. If you have a prayer request, just list that on the back side of the card and just let us know if it's okay to share that over our email or not. And if it is, um, we'll do that and we'll all join you in prayer. And if you'd rather us keep that private, we'll honor your request also. So let me just highlight a a couple of things before we um, read together. We're going to read from Romans chapter 8 this morning, starting in verse 1. First of all, you know, last week I, I let you know that we were just a couple of hundred dollars from from meeting our goal for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. Um, I can tell you that as of today, we have exceeded that goal by $254. And so $3,754 goes to um, help missions here in North America. So that's uh, Canada, United States, Mexico. And so we are excited about that. And then also, just as you're out this weekend enjoying maybe a holiday or celebrating um, the 4th of July, just remember that the church office will be closed on Monday. So if you have any business, you can conduct that here um, on Tuesday. And then coming up two weeks from today, on the 17th, we'll have our lunch and quarterly meeting. We'll not only enjoy a fellowship meal together, but we'll catch up on um, what's going on and what's coming up here at Cross Timber. You can see other dates and times um, in your bulletin as you check those this morning. Uh, Before the deacons um, come and we receive our offering, I'd like us to read from the 8th chapter of Romans, and then I'll read just three verses from the 5th chapter of Galatians that, that tie in. If you don't make it over to Galatians 5, verse 13, don't worry about it, um, but if you, um, if you can, that's where we'll be after I finish in Romans chapter 8. But Romans 8, verse 1 begins like this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not let... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Gentlemen, why don't you come and we'll receive our offering this morning. Let us pray. Lord, thank you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord, as you've shown us in our hearts. Lord, you've shown us in our lives, Lord. And we just uh, want to take this time to thank you for what you've given us, Lord, and we'd like to give it back. And Lord, we just know what's going on in this world, and we just ask that you keep our hearts soft. Lord, we just ask these things in your name.
Thank you. You may be seated. was having a conversation with the PowerPoint guy back there, which is another way to say I was talking to myself. Um, so I was doing the PowerPoint, but I was thinking about, you know, the, the rest that we have available to us um, that is all because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And if you have experienced that peace and comfort in the middle of turmoil in your life, in this world, um, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you have not, um, you are missing out. And it is surely something that the Lord Jesus provides that is indeed um, a peace that passes all understanding. And we are so very thankful for His sacrifice on our behalf. And we are merely benefactors of His marvelous grace. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the second chapter of Second Peter as we continue moving through the book of Second Peter, looking at this letter that Peter wrote to be an encouragement to churches in need of words of life, words of peace, churches that needed to thrive in the midst of their culture and so we are looking at you know how to thrive in the world that we certainly do live in and so we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10 today and just built around the idea of the title which is watch out and take action now i don't know if you've done any recent driving some of you probably on the way this morning might have seen a a sign that was either orange or yellow, or maybe it was white with some red on it. Those hazard signs that are there to, to gain our attention that point us to the fact that there's something to watch out for or there's danger that is ahead. On one of our trips to Honduras, we were driving in van with Leonard Jones, the missionary. We were headed toward the capital in Tegucigalpa, and, and Leonard pointed out to us as we were crossing one bridge after a detour and and it really, um, it was not much of a bridge. But he pointed to the place where the big bridge was that had washed out. And that big bridge that had washed away, it happened during a flood season. And at nighttime, in the dark, with no barricades or warning signs, several drivers unknowingly just drove straight off the highway and into the river. It kind of got my attention. You know, it was one of those things that made me a little bit more thankful for those orange cones that are carefully placed on the road, the barricades or flashing lights that give us a warning of things that we need to take notice of. And I was thinking about this. You know, if we're really honest with ourselves, there's darkness everywhere around us. There's danger almost at every turn, or you could say dead ahead. 
and, and God is continually calling His people, calling the world to, to watch out. And He's calling Christians to take action. And so in these verses this morning, I want us to, to think about this thought. It's, it's kind of a long sentence, and I'm my own PowerPoint guy, so if I get behind, um, I'll try to catch up as best I can. But I want us to think about this idea, and then I'll back up a second, that the reality of God's judgment and the opportunity He provides for rescue require believers to watch out and take action. And we'll hopefully unpack that this morning as we look at these verses, But and I hope it don't make you sick, but... If we do that, you know, if you think about this truth, that with the darkness around us, that God gives us a clear calling to respond to the salvation He provides, to watch out and take action. So let's read these verses together, and then we'll we'll pray. And hopefully between um, keeping my um, iPad from going to sleep and keeping up with the PowerPoint, there will be something in the middle of this that will be important that you need to hear. So for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among the day, them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Rejoin me as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in fellowship together, to worship together, to study your word together. We thank you that we have the the treasure that is your word. We thank you that we have the promise of your Holy Spirit to be along with us and to teach us. And we do ask that in these moments that we have this morning, that you would help us to understand your truth, to walk in the light that you have given us, and that we would see exactly what you would have us to see from the truth of your word. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for you. And we thank you that we can listen to your voice and help us to listen with our ears and with our hearts. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So, last week we talked about truth being under attack, that there were these false teachers that were present from the very beginning of time that are still around today that seek to confuse, to take advantage of, to detract from who Jesus is, to entangle as many as they can in lies for their own selfish gain, and that there is a serious need for us as Christians to stand for the truth but do it in love. 
And verse 3 ended last week with the certain promise that God is not sleeping and false teachers would face judgment. And so verse 4, since it follows verse 3, builds on that thought. And he, Peter continues writing to give three examples of God's judgment from the past. It serves to, to reassure the readers of this truth that God will judge the wicked and that false teachers won't escape judgment. And then the main idea, which is really verses 4 through 10, one big long sentence, if God knows how to judge those that are ungodly, how much more certain is it that he knows how to rescue the righteous, those who place their trust in him? And so the first thing he presents to us, and you can find the notes there in your bulletins, is the reality of judgment. The idea that God has judged in the past and he will judge again. That judgment is real. There is a day of reckoning for every human being. That they will give an account for all of their actions and only those that have the right answer, the only right answer, which is I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will receive salvation. And he gives three examples from history, a, a list that ranges from the heavens to the world to a specific pair of cities. It starts in the ancient past and it moves little by little toward the present. And he begins with rebellious angels who are judged for their pride and their rebellion. Now you'll notice that each of these is introduced by an if statement. The original language just has an if there where they start verse 4 and then a then in verse 9. But to help us, the English translators gives us an if to help us follow along. And so he basically says if, if God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, then everybody else is going to be judged as well. Now most likely, most people agree that these angelic beings that are mentioned are the sons of God that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 that become attracted to what is referred to as the, the daughters of men. They marry them, they have children, and because of their disobedient actions, they are being held for what this passage tells us is a future judgment. They're either imprisoned or in chains for a, a judgment that is coming in the days ahead. And if God didn't spare them, if they're not going to escape judgment, then why should man think they would? If God's going to judge angels, men shouldn't think they're any different. So he starts there in the heavens with these angelic beings. And then he moves down to the world in the time of a man named Noah. And these individuals, this, the whole world except for Noah and his family, are judged because of their apathy toward God and their disobedience. And you can probably relate to that, that many times, you know, apathy and disobedience go hand in hand. Well, I don't obey because I really don't care. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 12, it says, God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. But I will destroy them with the earth. So God looked around and saw the sinfulness, the wickedness. But the verses also tell us in Genesis that, that a man named Noah found favor in the eyes of God. This man Noah trusted God. He believed God. He followed God's instructions to build an ark that took him 120 years to complete. And then God brought a flood to make an end to flesh. 
destroy the earth. And following God's instructions, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives go into the ark. God closes the door. They seek refuge along with the animals, and they are rescued. And from this story, we're reminded that God's judgment is inevitable. If he promises it, he will bring it, and it will come at a time when we don't expect it, even though he gives constant warnings. But we'll talk about it more in a minute, that there is a way of escape. And so we see the angels, we see these wicked people in the days of Noah, and then he moves from Genesis chapter 6 to Genesis chapter 19, Peter telling us that Sodom and Gomorrah will be judged for their lawlessness and their sensuality. Now these two wicked cities stand as an example of wickedness both in the past and even in today's day. Jesus mentioned them himself in the New Testament when he was teaching, and people still talk about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah today and comparing some modern cities that we see all around us. And their sin was both rebellion and sexual perversion, and that sexual sin likely from the context and the words was was homosexuality. And the word sodomy comes directly from that name of the city of Sodom and Sodom. And it was something that the text tells us was detestable or an abomination to the Lord. And so it was a place with lawlessness, no authority, and people did and acted how they wanted to. In fact, Peter tells us they despised authority. They had no regard for what was right, and they only wanted to please themselves. Now, writing about that city, the prophet Ezekiel said that they had pride in Ezekiel 16, excess of food and prosperous ease. Wow, could you not apply that to um, the developed world? Pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. And Ezekiel says the Lord's response was, so I removed them when I saw it. Genesis tells us that burning sulfur rained down from heaven and Peter tells us that it turned the cities to to ashes but there was this man righteous man Lot who is rescued and everyone else except his daughters everyone including Lot's wife perished and Peter says that God did this as a way to make an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly that God would respond and will respond to wickedness unless there, are, there is repentance. There's a consistent pattern all through Scripture that sin won't go unpunishment, unpunished, but there is always a way of escape. And the judgment that waits in our day is a, a fiery judgment for those who don't repent. And from these examples, these three examples, from angels, from the people in the day of Noah until Sodom and Gomorrah, we can learn two things. And the first thing is just that no one is exempt from God's judgment. Everyone is subject to it. God is both holy and loving, and as a result, because He's holy, every sin will be judged, and because He is loving, He sent Jesus to be a Savior. And as one commentator said, God's 
grace is always available to those who believe in him and you see it all through scripture and so that's one thing the other thing we see from these examples is that even though god delays his judgment it's it's real some people live in a fantasy world thinking that just because god has not already judged the earth and destroyed the earth that he's either one of two things he's not real or he just doesn't care and we can do what we want but the simple truth is this god is real he does care and because he is god he will judge but he waits why because as peter says later in chapter three that his patience means salvation that god doesn't want any of his creation to perish he's patient with us hoping that we will repent but the bible's clear that that's not going to last forever that one day jesus will come back and in a moment in an instant when no one expects it he'll return and he comes to judge both the living and the dead and every person will have to give an account for their actions and only those who put faith in jesus will be saved but the good news is that god is in control sees everything he wanted to remind the people in peter's day that god saw what those false teachers and the ungodly were doing he saw that the righteous were suffering he would certainly punish but he would certainly also bring his mercy to those who trust him in faith and if god didn't spare those wicked from judgment then he would surely know how to rescue the godly from their trials. See, I love it when you read the Bible. If you, if you search for it, there's hope that goes all through the history of the Bible. Those prophets that would remind them, return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. A wild man of a preacher who comes onto the scene and preaches repentance, eating locusts and wild honey. Repent kingdom is at hand jesus speaking the words that are so familiar to many that god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and although judgment is real there's an opportunity for rescue remember i said earlier god's grace is always available to all that put their faith in him there's room for everyone who puts their faith in jesus and in the midst of these three examples that are a little bit shocking and should kind of wake us up and get our attention there are two examples of god's gracious rescue now i don't like you i don't know about you but i like either to watch or to read a good story about a rescue you know there's a situation where life is in danger the chances of survival are, are slim unless someone acts quickly. There's nothing the victim can do. They're helpless. They can't save themselves. And then when all seems lost, they look out and there's a ship on the horizon. A helicopter comes over the mountain. Someone lowers down a rope and the person grabs a hold and they're lifted to safety. And, and they celebrate. There's been a rescue. There's cheers. There's celebration. There's hugs. And in the middle of a wicked generation in the ancient world noah found favor in the eyes of the lord 
on the outskirts of a wicked city, God sent angels to grab Lot and drag him out and deliver him from destruction. Now, why were they rescued? Not one of them was rescued because of their own work or their own righteousness, but both of them had a righteousness that was by faith. And each one of these stands as an example that even in the midst of judgment, God rescues. Think about this man, Noah. Peter tells us he's a herald of righteousness. Now, there aren't any records of any sermons that Peter, that um, Noah preached. We don't have any record of that. But we do know that, as the song says, who built the ark? Who built the ark? Brother Noah built the ark. And every nail, every hammer blow of his obedience in building that ark was a message calling out to a wicked world to come into a place of safety. And why did Noah do it? Well, because God told him to. And Noah believed him. And so sawing and hammering, nailing. And after a really long time, he made a really big boat. And he and his family went inside and God closed the door. He's recorded in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he contemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, it was his belief, his righteousness that came by faith that led to his salvation. And as the waters rose and the wicked generation was destroyed, Noah and his family were rescued. And then we turn to Lot. That righteous man, the ESV says, was rescued from the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Three times in those verses about um, Lot, he's described as righteous, righteous, righteous. But if you read Genesis, you might have a very different opinion of this man called Lot. He had noticeable flaws, to say the least. And in Genesis 13, we find out that when he moved into that area, that he chose and pitched his tent near Sodom. So he chose to take his family and put them close to a city that he knew was wicked. Just a chapter later, in chapter 14, he's kidnapped and rescued by his uncle, Abraham. And so without a doubt, Lot knew the reputation of the city. He experienced the evil that was there, and he chose to live there anyway. When the two angel visitors come, he offers his own daughters to a, a mob of men that want to have sex with the two angel visitors, and only by God's providence are the two daughters spared. So there's no doubt that Lot knew what went on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he chose to live there anyway. And Peter tells us that Lot was greatly distressed and tormented by what he saw. See, living there close to Sodom and Gomorrah took its toll on this man, Lot. He was distressed or wearied, worn down by the culture. He was growing more apathetic toward the moral standards that were in decline and 
He was tortured by what he saw and what he heard. See, Lot knew what was going on in that city. And likely, over time, he struggled more and more to stand for what is right and stand against what he knew was wrong. And even though he struggled, it wasn't bad enough for him to move. We don't read in the, in the Scripture that Lot decided that this city's too bad for me. We're going to pack up and move to a better place. In fact, when his rescue is secured by the intercession of his uncle, the angels practically have to drag him out of the city to get him out of there. It's a reminder in the world that we live in that, that tolerance of, of wickedness and sin is a sleep, slippery slope. That over time, our values can be worn down by compromise. Think about this. Think about what we would not even mention in public a generation go, ago is now accepted, promoted, and celebrated in just about any direction that we look. And we have to remember from this example of Lot, we think, oh gosh, Lot, how in the world did God ever save him? Or why? Didn't he just throw him in with the rest of them and burn him up? See, Lot didn't receive rescue because he was a perfect man. Certainly, he, he wasn't. He wasn't saved because he did everything right. No, he was saved because he trusted in, in God. And he was righteous before God because he had a faith in God. I've been blessed through the years from the Bible teaching of Warren Wearsby and Warren Wiersbe says that Peter wasn't pointing out Lot as an example of separated living, but rather as an example of one whom God rescued from pollution and condemnation. The world we live in is just full of junk, mess, wickedness, and people that lived a century ago would probably, if they could see us today, wonder how in the world we could even stand to walk out of our doors with the things that we are, are faced with on a daily basis. But the truth is, we are where we are in the place that we are because God has us here for, like he would say to Esther, such a time as this, to live holy and godly lives in the midst of this present generation. And so if we look back and we see Abraham, who is not Abraham, Noah, who believed God, built an ark, and, no, and Lot, who believed God, and we see God deliver them, then we can be sure of this fact, that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Challenges are going to be waiting for us, as they have in every generation. Questions come to our mind that we don't have the answers for, but they trouble us. Why does it seem that the wicked people seem to prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? Why is life such a struggle for me? Is it always going to be this way? Why am I drawn to that? Why does that attract me? How come that tempts me so much? Why do I endure physical pain or emotional stress or economic hardship 
Why, when I go to work, I'm, am I ridiculed? Or when I go to school, I'm persecuted because I, I say I'm a Christian? Well, the truth is that when we live for Jesus and stand up for the truth, we're going to face opposition. There's going to be hardships, and no one is exempted from trials. And we have to understand that God is not always going to snatch us up and keep us in a bubble where we don't have to endure trials and tests. But he does promise that he will deliver us out of them. Listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon. God delivers in the way that is most beneficial to the godly, most crushing to the tempter, and most glorifying to himself. We may leave the how with the Lord and be content to rejoice in the fact that he will, in some way or other, bring his own people through all the dangers, trials, and temptations for this mortal life, from this mortal life to his own right hand in glory. And in this life, it may be that God uses an angel. It might have been a boat. It could be a friend to help deliver us from trials. But in the end, we have this assurance that when Jesus comes, all his people will be completely, finally, permanently rescued from every trial and every temptation. And in the meantime, we wait and we try. And so we've seen the reality that judgment is coming. We've seen the opportunity that he gives us for, for rescue. And it just leaves us with a final question, and that's how in the world does this apply to me? See, the, the truth that we read in the Bible always calls for a response. It calls us to action. And we have a choice on whether or not to respond, positively or negatively. And so in this, we have a challenge for believers. Now, there's no doubt this message was surely encouraging to the readers of that day. The wicked would be punished, the godly would be saved, and the false teachers would be dealt with. And God is able to rescue his people. But in this, there's also a word of, of challenge. And there's two things we can draw on as we, as we get close to, to being done. And one has to do with how we live in relation to the wickedness that we see all around us. And the other one is the responsibility we have to share that good news that is available that there is rescue. And so I'll give you two phrases. The first one is just watch out. We mentioned watch out signs earlier. You might see one. Watch out children at play to let you know to slow down and be careful lest a, a little one comes bolting out in front of you chasing their basketball. Watch out for oncoming traffic. Watch out for falling rocks. Watch out for snakes. Or watch out, steep drop-offs. And, and I, would, I would argue with, to you that Christians need to watch out because there is danger ahead. It's, it comes from the deceitfulness of sin. See, we live in a day where people want to define love in terms of being tolerant and accepting of the sinfulness of others. And there are those that won't accept anything less than that. That it's not 
loving to say, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong. They will not stop unless you say, I love you, and it's okay to do what you're doing. Which in itself is an indication that they know what they're doing is wrong. But over time, what was clearly wrong went from being not so bad to being totally accepted without question. Worn down little by little over time. And we need to be careful and to watch out. Here's a story to, to illustrate. There was a lady that was looking to hire a driver to be her personal driver. And her interview question was simply this. How near can you drive to danger? How close can you get to danger? And the first person said, you know, I'm, I'm such a good driver. I can go within a foot of danger. The second person interviewed said, I could get within a hair's width without even blinking an eye. And the third person who ultimately got the job answered as far away as possible. See, Christian, we have a call to watch out. To stay as far as possible from the danger of sin because it will eventually wear you down. And in you will begin to grow a dullness to the conviction of the, the Spirit, an apathy toward living a holy life, and then soon an acceptance of what was clearly sin. And so watch out. Guard your heart. But there's also a second calling, and that is to take action. It may not be there. Either. Take action. We can't simply just sit by and make sure we're okay. We need to do what we can to secure the rescue and safety of others. Because knowing the truth comes with responsibility. We mentioned it earlier, but I think it's worth repeating. that It's, it's not loving to be comfortable with the sin around us and, and not speak the truth. Because it's God's love that compels us or moves us forward to speak truth and show love and that's the needed combination we have truth and love and the testimony that we have could be what leads to the rescue of someone near to us a family member a friend a neighbor or maybe even someone you just met but in god's providence you cross their path and so it's time for us to take action loving god Faith matters. Trusting in Him is important. Being obedient to what His Word says and striving in the power of His Spirit to live a holy life. Not perfect, but trusting, believing, continually coming back to God in confession and repentance. Say, God, I blew it today, but I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep on going. So loving God and then loving others with the words that we speak and the actions that we show. See, to be a witness in these days takes time and investment. Investment in a person. To build a relationship. To show them that you care. To earn the opportunity to speak truth. And then we share the good news that there is rescue available. We pray for them to have their eyes opened by the the work of the Holy Spirit, and then we are there ready to be the witnesses that God has called us to be, and we trust Him to do the rest of the work. 
But we need to remember that the reality of God's judgment and the opportunity that he provides for rescue require us to watch out and to take action. It's important in the day of Peter. It's important today and will be important until Jesus returns. And it's my hope and my prayer that as we seek him and work to follow him, that we shall achieve what he's called us to do. I just want to close by reading these words from Galatians that I read earlier. Maybe it's a word of challenge or encouragement to you today. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Oh, Lord, help us to watch out and to take action. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that the glorious truth that comes from your word, that if we have faith in Christ, that we have been set free. And if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. And we stand before you in the name of Jesus as your children, not under condemnation, but under grace. But also feeling the, the responsibility to please you as our Lord and Savior and the burden of those around us that need to know the good news, that need salvation, that need rescue. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us to take seriously your word, that we would call on you by your Spirit for your help, the help that we need to obey. Lord, walking in in truth is, it's not popular. It's not easy. But it's what you've called us to do. Loving the people around us is challenging many days. It takes effort. It takes resources. It takes time. God, that's who you've called us to be in the place that you've put us. So we trust in the power of your spirit that you would help us to be those witnesses before you. Because God, when we look at your word and we see the future, we know that Jesus is coming back. And while that's a great day of celebration for those called by your name, it's going to be a terrible, horrible day for those that don't know you. And so in the reality of that, in the truth of the judgment that is coming, help us to be ready, help us to be holy, help us to be witnesses for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get to the conclusion of our service, it's the opportunity that we have to respond. Sing several different songs just to give that, that each one speaks uniquely to the character of who our God is and what our Savior has done for us. We, we've heard from his word, and in these moments we, we respond. And that's something, that it's personal, it's also corporate. You do it in your heart, but sometimes you do it before, you know, brothers and sisters. And so there's many different ways to respond. One is that just as you commune with the Lord quietly praying, 
you know, that can happen where you are. It can happen seated. It can happen standing. You can be laying down. It could happen here at the front, kneeling. It's just you communicating with God. There's other times when it, you know, you, you involve another person. You say, hey, hey, will you pray with me? Can you pray with me? I need somebody to pray with me. And it, maybe you grab the person next to you and say, hey, pray with me. I'm sure they'd be glad to, or they may say, well, why don't you and go up there and get the pastor to pray for you, or maybe somebody else, and, and I would certainly be glad to, but maybe you need someone to pray for. Or maybe this is the day that, you know, things start to, you know, come together, the pieces are falling in place, and you realize, okay, what the Bible says is true. Jesus is real. I'm a sinner, and I need salvation, and what I need to do is repent of my sins and turn to faith in Jesus, and today could be the salvation, the day of salvation. Maybe it's the day that, you know, you think, well, God, this is, this is it. This is where, I, you know, I'm going to plant my roots and I'm going to serve this church. There's many other ways that we respond, but we trust the Lord to, to speak to us. We're going to sing the song, a song together. I just invite you to stand up together with me. We're going to sing, and as we sing, you, you trust the Lord and respond.
y'all be seated for just a moment. Um, this morning, um, it's, it's, ex- it's exciting. We have um, Keith Barton. Um, Keith, why don't you come up here with me? Keith, um, Keith lives just not too far away from the church. Um, he is a retired municipal judge. Um, I found that out last week. And um, anyway, he, um, he has visited with us for a couple of weeks, and he's been looking for a church home, and he is coming today. Um, to, uh, to let us know that he wants to unite with us here at First Baptist Church. We've talked about his cross We've talked about his salvation, and he has a history in, of teaching Sunday school and different things like that. And so um, we are excited. And um, just we just asked the, the body what would be your you know your pleasure in, in receiving Keith to membership here. I have a motion. Glenda's nodding. I'll take that as a motion. I have Kim as a second. Everybody, you've already clapped, but everybody in favor, just say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And so, Keith, we are excited. And as I told you earlier, you know, it's our hope that, that you know, we know you're going to be a blessing to us, but we hope we can be a blessing to you as you, you as we walk asked. together with the Lord. And so um, we're going to, when we stand and sing, um, I'm going to, Keith and I are going to walk to the back after that, and I'm sure you're going to want to come by and just um, let Keith know that you're glad um, he's here. Um, and so um, why don't you all join me in standing? It's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Um, I hope during this holiday weekend you have some time to just enjoy family and food and, um, and you find a good way to stay cool in the midst of the, of the heat. Um, do the best you can. But um, it's been a pleasure and I just pray the Lord would, would bless you. Um, and we're going to start singing and when we sing you're free to go. So the Lord bless you.